This is Bragg, the son of Balan, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. Tirith, the beacons are lit. Lotro calls for aid. And Brog shall answer. Amon Dean, 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 Dean. Here in the foothills of the White Mountains of Edred Nimre's shenanigans have been kindled, and we have returned to our boring old standard traditional sequential format with a stupidly predictable westward orientation for beacon lightings and no spontaneity of any kind. Welcome back to Light the Beacons, the only Lotro podcast that dares to say, my goodness, that is some intriguing filth. This is episode number 83, To Be or Not To Be, and I am your host, Bragg of the Lonely Mountain, the Sultan of Shieldswipe, the Earl of Agro, champion of the Great Halls of Tarakas, and Dwarf of Ill Repute. Broadcasting live from Temporary Light, the Beacons, Middle-Earth-wide headquarters, far from Fethillion, coming to, me, coming to you live uh, at my modest summer home here in the Bay of Belfales. Uh, let, me, let me go out to the front of the property. There is a giant lit beacon fired up on my front yard, as you would expect. That, I can't tell you how excited I was when that housing item came into the game. And I go over to the corner here. I can see several islands out across the bay, including, I think, my kin house out there someplace. Haven't visited there in a while. Should drop by. Uh, and uh, what else is going on? So if I run around my front yard a little bit, ooh, a shattered statue of Sauron. Say that three times fast. I have a fell goat property guard. So I'm going to click on the fell goat and see if he can follow me. So, first I put the guards up. I didn't realize you could click on them and get them to follow you around your house. I thought they just stood there and, like, walked around. Oh, look. Here's a very odd property guard. I wonder how many property guards I can get following me at one time. Let's see. Is it one at a time? Does he replace the fell beast? Oh, I think he... Yeah, I think he can only take out one at a time, which is too bad. I want to try to get multiple dudes. All right, that didn't work, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, on one side I got a fell beast. On the other side, I have a Variag property guard. And uh, you know, my yard is full. I need a yard sale. Uh, maybe future episode, I will have a yard sale right here on Light the Beacons. That'll be exciting for everybody. But uh, uh, my inside of my uh, deluxe house is uh, not so full. Uh, plenty of spaces. I've got a couple of the rooms filled. And I've got like one or two things in at least every room. But it is certainly not fully decorated. Um, so, you know, that's an area. I'm lagging a little bit. Um, I think that the external items are just much more common in loot boxes or to earn in game. The inside stuff, you know, you have to kind of purposefully seek it out. Uh, miniature warg writer. I'm just passing now. Okay, so let's go upstairs. There's my pesky dormouse, one of the first items you ever get in the game, and I always put it in my house just for tradition. Let me see. Oh, here's a high elf property guard. Let me click on her. High elf visitor property guard, female. And another one. Okay, I've got two high elf visitor property guards up front. So that's four guards total. I think I've got one in front, too. Let's double check here. Uh... Oh, yep, there's another one. High Elf Visitor Property Guard. I've gotten three of those buggers, so I am building quite the harem. I mean, they are female, but, you know, not that that's, you know, relevant in this day and age. But in any event, um, yeah, I've got at least five property guards on property, and uh, that seems kind of useless. So I am secure, that's for sure. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, why don't we just do a random port? 
here at the Mordor. Clicking on it, thanks to Bozenator for the loan. Someone else put their uh, their door in my house for me, a kinmate, because I had not earned it through the Mordor purchase. And looks like I'm going to be an Agernath from the from the cut screen. Nope, straight to the ruins of Dingarth. So actually, uh, kind of a useful port versus some of the other junk that's out there. You know, it's not like the Moria keg where it puts you like on top of a stalactite with no egress and uh, either certain death, stuck, or port are the only ways you're out of there. So, Rins of Dingarth. Maybe I'll go buy the uh, raid vendors that were installed over here recently and um, putter about, see if there's anything worth acquiring that I've missed. I've been through them a couple times, but every once in a while you got to remind yourself of what they have for sale. I do have a fair amount of Aish. Let's check my Aish level. 67.20, so not at the point where I have to settle off so I hit the 10,000 cap, but uh, it's getting up there. It is getting up there. So um, that is my prologue for today. We're moving forward with uh, Amandine, uh, but right now we better move on to our next beacon of Ilinach. So we got to deal with a lot of CREP corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. Uh, last time out, we offended anyone who values truth, justice, and an orderly progression of beacon-related lotro topics. And to everyone else that was offended, we offer a solemn and very heartfelt sorry. Uh, viewer comments. Let's check the leaderboard. We have the same high score. The last review of the podcast was left by Gladwin from China on April 19th of 2018. And he currently has our high score. As always, if you want to join this illustrious cadre of reviewers, then I might ask, what is stopping you? Viewer feedback. Uh, agree disagree. Not getting into it this week. Um, no comments. It appears the viewers were just as confused as I was. Uh, at last week's backwards episode, uh, Beacon the Lights. And as it turns out, when you view the podcast backwards, it is actually very disconcerting from an optical perspective, I've noticed. So, look, it's an inner ear thing. And at the end of the day, it's just science. Google it. So, to summarize, we don't recommend viewing the podcast with your inner ear, or at the very least, take some drama mean, for gosh sakes. And uh, I'll try to never do that again anyway. Uh, from Twitter, active as ever, move along, nothing to see here. Uh, community Spotlight. I did want to mention that I saw in the Beacon uh, that Cordovan publishes a really cool website that I went out and spent a couple minutes checking out this past week. And that is, uh, the site is called en.dcodmilieu.fr slash. Um, so en.dcodmilieu.fr slash. And, um... So I think it's DCO de Milieu. Uh, basically, it's a website that categorizes housing items uh, in the game. All the housing items broken out by the kind of slot that they fill. You know, i.e., you know, mat, uh, external thin, internal thin furniture, external large, you know, humongous whatever spaces, uh, including where to find them in game, which is extremely useful. So. Um, each of the entries usually has like multiple photos or videos from different angles of the object to uh, give you a full perspective, and it also includes uh, overviews of the different homesteads, not the uh, not the deluxe ones, but uh, all the ones that were in games previously, uh, to kind of show what the neighborhoods look like and so forth. Um, and an idea bazaar. Uh, the idea bazaar is basically a, a little catalog of some decorated housing uh, rooms that have been donated to the site or that the site uh, creators have put together. And they are very inspiring. If you've not seen those, go out to this website just to check the idea bazaar and see what people have done with some of the rooms. Um, you know, now that you can move the different objects around, uh, you get the movable hooks in the housing items. It's it's really become blossomed into an interesting art form. And I don't know if I'll ever go through and, and spend that amount of time on my house, you know, moving items and decorating. And uh, but. For the folks that do it, they can make some really cool-looking stuff, and it is a little bit inspiring. Uh, I'm not sure I have the patience. 
I might need an extreme makeover. You know, someone's gonna have to pull up a giant 22 horse uh, carriage in front of my house, and I'm gonna say, "Move that carriage!" And after I go on vacation, I'll come back and my my place will be all done for me. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there that do that stuff on a regular basis. Um, but it's not rewarding unless I do it myself. So appreciate the offers. Not that any of you have made one, but I will get there eventually. So, uh, Forums Insider. Most of it is reaction to the producer's letter. More on that later. Oh, and uh, lots of apoplectic blue hunters. Uh, but besides that, in this week's action-packed episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in game these past few weeks, just to be different. We're going to discuss the producer's letter, of course, and uh, we're going to premiere um, in our sponsor segment a brand new appliance for those of you in Middle Earth that I think you'll find pretty interesting. Uh, also, we're going to talk a little bit about a game I just finished recently, the uh, Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor. And lastly, if any time remaining, we will summarily squander it. But if we want to have time for that, we better keep moving to our third beacon of Nardal. Alrighty then, uh, this week in gaming and or other Tolkien news. So, let me see, what other games are we playing right now? Well, certainly um, the Fortnite craze continues with others within the house. And uh, I do occasionally watch those games uh, with some level of interest. They can be very entertaining uh, when you get a bunch of good players going at it. Uh, aside from that... I uh, haven't been playing much besides Lotro and, of course, Shadow of Mordor, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, from a movie standpoint, I did go out and see Deadpool this past week. It is slightly more kid-friendly than the original Deadpool. Uh, Deadpool 2 is slightly more kid-friendly because um, there's no hardcore sex scenes, and I'm talking hardcore, in the first one. Um... But there are certainly, uh, the language is still filthy, and even though they have well-meaning people saying stuff, and the decapitations and dismemberments are many, um, so, you know, common sense media seems to think 14 and up, and I agree, depending on the maturity of your kid, that may be okay. Um, other takeaway from Deadpool is the... The new actress Zazie Beetz that plays Domino is uh, steals every scene that she's in. Uh, would be really cool to see her hopefully moving forward in the franchise. I'm sure we will, but there's even been discussion of her getting her own movie based on her popularity coming out of this. So uh, we'll see. Maybe a star-making turn for her. And uh, I do like the job that Josh Brolin has done as Cable in Deadpool 2. He has this grizzled, snarling, badass thing absolutely down <laughs> i mean you know down to the crags on his face and the grimaces and the the way he moves uh i've been impressed with him both with thanos and here but he's got a little more to do in uh in this movie and uh you know and you know obviously it's a a little less cgi of a performance although there's certainly a good deal of cgi with cables robotics and so forth but um i liked his performance a lot and it also has the best three-second cameo of Brad Pitt ever. Um, and if you've seen the movie, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, or if you didn't, if you missed it, watch the credits and you'll figure it out. Uh, lastly, I also saw Solo, of course, this past weekend. I heard it only raked in $83 million, uh, which over the Memorial Day holiday doesn't seem like a heck of a lot. I mean, it seems like, you know, I know it's not a Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars movie. Um, you know, those are well over. I kind of expected it to break $100 million, though, over uh, the Memorial Day holiday. So we'll see how it holds up in future weeks. Uh, I myself thought it was pretty good. Uh, it was superior to Rogue One due to the fun factor for me. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, only some people die at the end as opposed to everyone with some of the other movies that are out right now. And Hannah's good, but it's the strong supporting cast that makes it more appealing for me from... From Lando, Danny Glo Donald Glover, of course, and his droid, who uh, also is a scene stealer. Paul Bettany has a nice role. Uh, Chewbacca, of course. Uh, Woody Harrelson. And uh, perhaps the most important character of all, the Millennium Falcon, which for me, pound for pound, is probably the still the coolest spaceship in movie history. And if you can think of one better, please to inform. I'd love to hear what you think is uh, superior to it. But for me... 
Millennium Falcon, ultimate, Millennium Falcon Ultimate Cool. Um, from a Lotro standpoint, Bragg's been doing his twice-weekly Northern Kingdom runs, and that's about all I can take on those. Um, so if you run them Thursdays and Sunday, you get the extra wrapper quest, which uh, give you a black key and five additional tokens. Uh, apart from that, the best value for your token time seems to be going after the, uh, the three uh, wandering threats that are... Um, I'm sorry, warbands that are on the landscape, uh, which each give three tokens, so that you can do nine pretty quickly within, you know, I'd say 20 minutes or so, which uh, is a lot faster than doing eight quests to get eight tokens. So um, I recommend that if you, do, if you don't have a lot of time for tokens in the Northern Kingdom. Um, I just recently I went to the Rep Barters of Erebor with Bragg, and... Uh, they include recipes for level 340 pocket and necklace items. Um, so those are the two jewelry pieces you can get from the rep barters at Erebor. Um, so depending on what, what vendor you go to, that determines the primary stat. Uh, but if you're buying the recipe, then um, your crafter can make any one of them. And the jewelry that results out of it, either the pocket, pocket, or, pocket by a scholar or a necklace by a jeweler, is uh, bound to account, so you can trade those. But I'm sorry, not even bound to account is um, is not bound at all. So you can sell those, um, or you can equip your tunes. So aside from some of the primary kind of teal armor pieces that you get, which are mildly better than the ones in Mordor, um, I think it's shoulders and maybe sabatons or gloves. I can't remember. You get like two pieces. You can also upgrade to the latest uh, teal two-slot uh, pocket and uh, necklace items uh, for all your tunes if you get enough tokens but the recipes do cost 40 tokens and once you get the recipe one of the ingredients is a token of Las Galan uh, which costs another 40 landscape tokens so 80 tokens total per piece which is a heck of a lot that's either 10 days of dailies or um, you know 6 or 7 runnings of uh, you know warbands or a mix thereof Obviously, the wrapper quests help a little bit, and you can also get a pretty good allotment of tokens. I think it's five per quest if you do the Lay of Rust and Rhyme uh, pieces that came out, which is the latest kind of uh, episodic content that they've debuted in the Northern Kingdom. So, aside from that, Bragg's been doing a little occasional fishing, trying to catch the last couple buggers to finish off his, the new fishing deeds. And I've also been moving forward with the Lust and Lime questline. I'm sorry, the Buster Rhyme questline. Wait, third time's the charm. Rust and Rhyme questline. Uh, I'd forgotten where I left it, and then I remembered that I was uh, I left it uh, with the River Maiden in Karastillion. So I went back there. There were another couple chapters that had come out since last I'd worked on it, so I was able to build out, <coughs> I don't know, three weeks' worth. There's maybe another 15 tokens when I got done with those. And... Um, one of the funny things that came out of that was uh, there's a subquest in there called the Ill Wind Ill Wind Blows quest, and uh, there's a good joke behind it. I mean, spoiler alert: if you don't want to hear about it, you can advance a little bit, but this will save you some time. the The guy says, uh, you know, you talk to Thrain, and he's like, you know, we have to bring our kingdoms together and get them prepared. Go out to each of the five kingdoms and find ten things. So in Lake Town, in Dale, in Erebor, in Logland, in Felagoth, go find ten things apiece and then come back and talk to me. And, of course, everyone's rolling their eyes. And then uh, the first thing you turn around, there's a stack of stuff right behind you for the first to pick one to pick up. So, of course, I pick that up, and then I start looking around the rest of Erebor, and I'm running all over the place, and I can't find anything. I'm like, oh, maybe the rest of them are outside. So I go look outside. I can't find anything. And I'm about to port away elsewhere, and I take a look at the quest text, and it says, oh, go back and talk to King Thrain again. So <laughs> the quest objective lists like 50 things you have to pick up, and then you pick up the first one, and it changes to King, go talk to King Thrain. And he's like, uh, just kidding, Bragg. I wouldn't make you do that. Come on. So nice sense of humor, devs. Well done on that. Um, the one thing is I will say I'm not the only person. I've heard several people looking all over the place for the items without looking back at their quest text and then realizing that they've wasted all that time. So I probably wasted 10 minutes running around Arbor looking for the you know the rest of the items before I realized uh, that all I had to do was go back and talk to Thrain again. So don't waste that time if you're you instead of being me. Um, my mini 
completed the region deeds for Udan and Agernath since the last time we talked. And since the, uh, you know, the Slayer deeds were already done, basically all I had to do was finish pages and treasure chests for those two areas. And that's good for a loot box and key each, so that was good use of time. I'm considering doing the Slayer deeds for the other three regions over time just because, uh, you know, the region, basically there's a pretty big payoff if you complete all the Slayer deeds, and that means I complete the region deeds for all five areas in Mordor. I probably have two or three per zone. I could tick them off slowly over time. We'll see. I'll think about it. Um, my Cappy, the fashionable, is completed Felgoth quests in the Northern Kingdom completely, and Logland and uh, Esgroth of Old and Lake Town are both done. And then he is on to Dale. He got a new pocket item from the Scholar Recipe purchased by my man Bragg. And... Uh, he has a recipe available as my jeweler, available for necklace at max rep level. Also this week, just to throw it in, uh, was on doing something with my Cappy and someone called out for help with the Watcher and Moria. I checked my deed log and my Cappy actually had never finished doing the final Watcher instance, which is kind of crazy because, I don't know, I thought for sure all my tunes had done at this point, but he had not. So um, I missed that group, but I just jumped in and soloed it just for fun and uh, completed the final foray into the viral vile mall with my cappy handed that in it's good to run around moria for a little bit and get those out of the d log uh my lore master is doing mordor dailies now occasionally um some saragos 105 runs i think i just have like three or four scrolls of empowerment maybe maybe one or two more runs and my allies for my lm will be fully maxed um although i haven't been getting as many uh crystals so i could still use a few of those and um, I've got a bunch of Allegiance Reputation books saved up. I'm trying to figure out if I should take one of my tunes that only has one of them maxed and level the other three and get them like the deed for finishing all four, or if I should save up the tombs I've generated for my alt gearing. I think I have like maybe four or 500 uh, tombs or uh, books saved up at this point, rep books. My Berg... Still 115, found one unfinished quest line in Udun to open up the dailies for Mordor. I was like, how come I can't see any things with Kander in Udun? And I realized, uh, as I've done with one other tune at least, there are two quest lines in Udun that you have to get to the end of. And the, the one where you find all the signal flags uh, and then meet up with them to try to bargain or negotiate passage to Nern for some of the uh, Nernoth slaves... Um, basically results in the finishing of the second quest line, uh, which I had never done. So I finished up with my Berg and, and got the dailies opened up with him. Um, I also finished, I ran around and finished off. This happens to some tunes when it, you know, Bragg does everything, but the others I had a little more selective. I do the stuff that looks fun. And I realized I had like five or six Explorer quests in Mordor where I each needed like one location. Like I needed to find... Uh, one of those uh, door armor uh, water you know tanks basically I needed one orc stronghold in Talith Uri I needed uh, one location of Mokul Ruck in Saragost and uh, one spider haunt in Lingris uh, you know to finish off all these explorer deeds so I ran around and got all those done and generated a bunch of experience actually for Gorgoroth Pla Plateau of Gorgoroth as well as uh, some additional low trip points which is nice um the best thing about it is, as a Berg, it's easy to do as a stealth Warsteed rider. Uh, I can just kind of march through everything if I'm if I'm careful. Occasionally, someone will penetrate stealth, but it's pretty rare. So you can run around and finish the Explorer Deeds and Mordor without uh, a lot of dilly-dally. And my Berg has also been uh, hitting the Mordor task board with all items being funneled towards him. I think he's about halfway through the final rep tier to get celebrated in Gorgoroth, and that'll finish off another major deed for him as well. My Hunter 107 is idling as well as my Bjorning, same level. My Champ is now level 71, and uh, I had them questing through Eregion, uh, just following the In Your Absence quest line, and uh, got to Eregion and Eshad Eregion actually, and Echad, Echad Eregion, and uh, went to that big uh, labyrinth that's in the side of the hills just underneath Caradras. Uh, it's called Minas Alendur. And uh, it's part of the epic that you have to go in there and find the dwarf and, you know, recover the, his tools or whatever and meet him back at Echad Eregion. And uh, 
there's a deed that you can get in there for going into every room in the place. And usually by the time I'm done collecting the strong boxes and finding the stuff for him, I've only got like three or four left, and I'm like, just screw it, I'll do it. But the last four take as much time. You got you got to check a map because it's impossible. Some of these things are like, you know, on a third level, and the only way to reach it is go to the basement, and go up one room in the whole place. Um, so I've got the thorough title once again on another tune for my for my champion, and he's now an Enidwaith. And uh, the sad part about in your absence is I'm already over leveled for it. Um, I, I think I'm gonna have to pick and choose. I mean, do I want to do some of Enidwaith, some of Dunland, some of the Great River, um, you know, some of Wildermore? You know, I could go get my Warsteed pretty soon. So. Uh, I have to pick and choose, and uh, you know, often you just end up doing the the epic through these areas when you're doing another alt. Uh, I don't have a stone of the tortoise. And I don't know. It's something about using it. I don't really want one, but I'll have to decide where I want to spend my quest points for my champion. Uh, they're making some decent progress now at level 71. Starting to do a little bit of damage. How about that? My RK is 57. It's just been hobby horsing around. Warden is at level 40. Haven't played him much. Nerp. And my high elf warden is level 17. Probably off getting high on pipeweed someplace. So let's talk about other Tokyo news because we actually have some. Rumor has it that the new Lotro series will be focused on the the TV cable Lotro series will be focused on the exploits of a young Aragon. Uh, after all, he had 87 years of history before he shows up in Fellowship of the Ring. So uh, I imagine if that's true, it will include history of the Dunedain, his uh, growing up in Rivendell with his mother, striking out in the wild, um, you know, doing his ranger training, maybe some of his journey south, including battles with Umbar uh, as uh, Thorongil, his first meetings with Gandalf, etc. And uh, who knows, might even have some pre-foreshadowing of Hobbit-type stuff, um, you know, hunting for Gollum or doing whatever the case may be. So um, I think that's an interesting tack. I'm intrigued. Color me intrigued if they intend to do it right. And uh, if they don't, they will learn quickly the wrath of a, uh, a Lotro lorehound that has been scorned. Will they not? All right, that's enough of what I've been doing about in-game, and we have some important stuff to talk about coming up in the next beacon, so let's move on to it right now. Coming up on the giant hill of Aralas. In the fourth beacon of Aralas, we've got some real Lotro news. Uh, just about right after my last podcast, I think it was only about two weeks ago. Hey, not bad. Um... An executive producer letter came out uh, merely a day or two after I published, so I just missed it. You guys have probably mostly digested this by now, but I'm sure you're dying to hear what Bragg has to say about it. So uh, let's go through the executive producer letter from Rob Ciccolini, otherwise known as Sev. And I think the interesting thing is uh, to note is, first of all, I remember the days of Lotro when we got one letter a year. It was in the first or second week of January, and that was it. <laughs> Um, there have certainly been producers in the past that have given us mid-year letters or chimed in with some direction here or there. Or, you know, they've engaged with uh, um, with some dev diaries and things of that nature. But uh, I'm very excited to see a mid-year producer's letter. I think it enhances the community when they know it's coming and they can speculate and they can give input and they can react and all those other things. So I'm not going to read the whole letter in its entirety, but I'm going to take a, a couple snippets of it. Um, First of all, they can plan to continue their expansion of the broader region throughout the year in the Northern Kingdoms, uh, using 2018 to also work on classes, festivals, and quality of life improvements based on uh, player feedback and suggestion, including in a near update the ability to see sheathed musical instruments. So, you know, I I think they got a good track record lately. I know there's a lot of things you complain you can complain about with SSG. But since they become SSG, they have methodically ticked off some very high-priority items um, that people in the community have asked for over time. So it seems like they are listening. They don't have a ton of bandwidth, but they're picking one or two kind of major impactful things, you know, every quarter or half year and, and rolling those out. Um, you know, don't forget, <laughs> we, we got shield cosmetics, shield and weapon cosmetics. Uh, just in this last year along the same lines. But if, if you're a minstrel and you've always wanted a loot strapped across your back, 
there you go. Now you got it. Or a harp. Uh, I'm kind of excited to see what those will look like and how I might uh, play with those in some of my outfits. So, And by the way, if you've gone to the Lotro store previously and bought a backpack with an instrument hanging off of it, sorry. All right. Um, what else? So looking ahead to update 23, um, we'll be journeying to the Lonely Mountain. We've already done that. And from there, following the eastern path to the Iron Hills and north to the Gray Mountains. So filling in the northeast corner of our maps, we're excited to put these important parts of dwarf culture and history on the map. And I am excited to check them out because, uh, as you may remember from last week's episode, I was a little disappointed uh, that Erebor was not well, more well fleshed out beyond just the Great Hall of Thrain. And uh, so I'm hoping that can be rectified. And who knows, maybe they might even still add some detail to uh, Erebor over time. But I think they'll have to do something a little more unique in the Iron Hills and the Grey Mountains. Hopefully not just one big hall carved into a mountain like they did here. Uh, anyway, Update 23 will also come with an instance cluster. And later in the year, a new raid. So, a little bit of something for everybody. Uh, fresh raid. Um, I think Abyss of Mor Mordath, you know, I, I thought it was cool, but I, I have still not run it on Tier 2. And I think the biggest problem with it that I've heard, most people say, is that Tier 1 might be a little too easy, and it doesn't have any loot that's really worth going for. Uh, and Tier 2 is a little too hard, unless you're in a raiding can, of course, and have it down. You've done it 20 times. If you're trying to pug it, or if you're a casual raiding can, uh, tier 2 is still a little bit too hard, so a little bit too much uh, of a variation between Tier 1, Tier 2, and Tier 1, you know, not having loot that's worth running, so people aren't bothering, bothering to run it. Um, I think the best solution is, you know, make the Tier 1 loot rare, uh, that's at the top shelf, but mix in a couple things from Tier 2 on a lucky roll, you know, an, a good RNG, right, so... You know, maybe you get something that's subpar, but there's a chance. There's always a chance in Tier 1 that a couple objects will drop per run that will be worth having as if you were on Tier 2. Not nearly the frequency of Tier 2, but you, you have a chance. And I think that drums up more interest in Tier 1. And as you get more people interested in Tier 1 and more familiar with the raid, they're not afraid to run Tier 2. So, so there you go. Uh, fixed another problem. Not hard, guys. Come on. Try to keep up. Um, so instance cluster and raid. So keeping up uh, the status quo with that, I think, which is smart. They found a formula that works, and uh, new instances will be designed for both groups and solo players. And I think this is one of the more interesting things I saw in the update that I really liked. Um, so in some cases, obviously, these instances they're weaving into the storylines. You know, they're not just side quests; they're part of kind of the Black Book of Mordor or a central quest line. Uh, so they want solo players to be able to go in and experience those, and you know, hopefully get additional play out of them as well. Uh, almost as if, you know, almost like a skirmish where you could do it uh, single duo, uh, you know, or as a full fellowship, etc. It allows everyone to see the storyline that unfolds in those instances, and uh, full groups will be able to enter more dangerous tiers of these adventures. Uh, they've got 80, 80 quests on the new landscape, which sounds, you know, about par for the course, and. Uh, the Black Book of Mortar will continue its story into these new regions, um, so keep that moving. Update 23 will also increase the level cap to 120. So I read that with mixed reviews, and I think this is one of the biggest areas that people had some issue with because most folks feel like they just got done grinding essences, and now um, some of their gear is going to be obsolete. So. Um, you know, I think SSG generally does a pretty good job of saying, look, if the top end grind item in Udun is a gold ring, um, then we'll make the, the next region have items that are pocket and necklace. Or, um, you know, one of the end things will be to get really good bracelets. You know, they don't immediately replace pieces. They kind of alternate which ones get updated with each release. So hopefully that'll be the case as well. And the other thing I think they need to add, uh, and unfortunately I don't think they will because it's too much, probably too much store traffic around Essence Reclamation Scrolls, or at least it's a sink that you can get them at the rep uh, vendors in the skirmish camps is the ability to just replace essences without having to reclaim uh, reclaim them out of the object first. 
So when I double click on an essence, I just want to be able to say, you know, I had an abyssal, es abyssal essence there, and now I got an empowered abyssal essence, and I just want to replace, you know, I want to upgrade my abyssal essence with an empowered one, and I don't want to have to use a reclamation scroll every time. Um, you know, if it was not as common as it is, I'd be okay with it, but now that it's one of the main forms of progression in the game, it's kind of a pain that you make us use a scroll every time we want to upgrade one of our essences. You know, in a lot of cases, there's two essences on the item, but you only have one. So you might have to wait until you get another one before you um, reclaim the two so that you can replace them both at the same time. Either that or you need two essence reclamation scrolls, one per essence as you get those things replaced. I think you get the idea. Um, so I would have rather they had waited to level and then done 10 levels as opposed to five because i think five is a lot of work for not a lot of payout but um it does make tunes feel like they're moving forward and uh uh we'll see hopefully you know the extra power and stuff is just gravy on top of being able to do some of the current content um you know and not going to screw it up some of the class updates that are going on uh, beyond update 23, we have some threads to tie off before we're done with North Ravanian, including Gundabad, and that is a name I was very excited to see. The Vales of Anduin and landscape, landscape contiguity with Lothlorien, which means, most importantly, you'll be able to get a chicken to Erebor very soon, or maybe even to the slopes of Gundabad. Um, so, yes, I am anticipating chicken runs. I'm not saying I'm going to do one, but... Uh, who wouldn't want to be the first chicken to make it to wherever? You'll figure it out. Uh, but, you know, connecting pieces in the landscape is always uh, kind of cool and important, I think, uh, to keep the immersion of the game. So I'm excited about that. And Gundabad, hopefully, is the site of the raid. <laughs> uh, some very exciting stories in the Silmarine around Gundabad. A lot of history there. So I'm interested in seeing where they go with some of those areas. Uh, initially, they were going to go to Minas Morgul this year, and now they've reevaluated and said they want to shift it into 2019. And the reason they give is they say they have big plans for Minas Morgul and want to do it justice with expanded vision of the content. So I'm okay if this means that uh, Minas Morgul turns out to be kind of an epic interior space, uh, you know, something like rift like um, in scope and scale. You know, maybe Minas Tirith on the bottom and a giant cave underneath it i don't know but you know we've got shelob to deal with down there we've got parangos we've got uh Ugrakor, we've got lareth we've got how many more can you name urdani keep going um you know etc 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 so there are a lot of loose strings but uh, most importantly don't forget mordrith so they are really dragging out coming to the conclusion of the biggest you know nemesis in the history of the game uh hopefully he'll when he does get his due, it'll be uh, appropriately epic. Um, so please do that right. I, you know, I think it's a little weird. I think they should have finished off Miss Morgul before moving forward into Rovanion and all these areas in the northeast because they're just kind of hanging behind us and it's it's becoming a little strung out um, as far as tying up those loose ends. You just you know, it's like a craps table. You score a bunch of points, and you want to scoop some of them up and not have all those loose ends on the table when you crap out, right? So when this game ends, I want to know that Mordrith is dead and that I killed him. <laughs> let's let's put it that way. Okay, so in addition to that, um, yeah, they talk about some of the class changes that they're looking at. Uh, they say it's a challenge for our relatively small team. Boy, would I love to know how many people they have looking at each class or, you know, if the... RK guy is also the LM and the minstrel guy or whatever the case may be. So they say they're going to make targeted adjustments to many classes at once um, and continue with incremental improvements over future updates. So basically it sounds like some some duct tape and bailing wire uh, to get us closer to where we need to be instead of a kind of comprehensive overhaul on a class-by-class -class basis. But uh, I'm not going to judge. As long as they do a good job at the end of the day, I'm a little more worried that they're doing it this way, that it might not have uh, good flow and or integration with the other classes, but um, we'll see. Uh, let me see. Speaking of shorter-term plans, they're bringing out new seasonal instances for the Summer Festival this year, including 
remastering Thrang from the Rift of Nurse Gashu as a standalone scaling fellowship instance. I have no idea what that has to do with the Summer Festival, but <laughs> color me intrigued. Uh, I'm hoping <clears throat> the original battle on level was one of the toughest fights in that uh, in that instance. So uh, hopefully for a festival it won't be quite that challenging, but still, you know, not just a walkover featured instance type run. Hopefully a little bit more than that, and, uh, you know, I've heard rewards might be interesting. So secondly, new instances, a perfect picnic, which is obviously Shire-centered, and uh, not really sure what that is, but, you know, maybe uh, you're batting off giant crabane that are trying to lift your food off the table uh, and it's kind of like a survival <laughs> instance or skirmish uh, not really sure on that uh, they also hint though that they intend to keep the harvest math festival uh, evolving with new episodes of the um, the boffins saga that premiered last year uh, so uh, apparently that was well received and they'll be extending the episodic content but, uh, you know, I'm excited about the festival instances. I mean, especially if you're tired of grinding the same quests over and over again. You know, this is doing something a little more significant, a little more hopefully reusable content uh, and play. And, uh, you know, something different. So, you know, uh, applause to them for trying to make it. Um, you know, we'll, we'll grade them when they come out. And I'll let you know my thoughts when I get a chance to run them. I don't go out on Bull Rider. I do enough tunes through these uh, through this content one after the other that I don't need to see it one more time. Uh, but that's it for the producer's letter. Uh, it's exciting stuff. Moving, Of course, moving back to iconic dwarven locations in Middle-earth, perhaps some of the last few that we haven't seen um, that scope and scale. Uh, now I think it's time to move on to our fifth beacon of Minrimon. Here we are at Min Rimon, and now for the original weekly sponsor segment. This week's show is brought to you by Kurinexa. You've heard of Siri, you've heard of Alexa. Now the latest in home speaker companions for the next generation um, or age of Middle Earth is Kurinexa, shaped like a tiny little tower of Orthanc that fits neatly on your breakfast table or hearth. You can ask Kurinexa anything and let him be your guide, friend, scholar, smith, minstrel or even Motley Fool. Kurinexa is the future of home automation from the mines that industrialized Isengard. Just say Kurinexa's name and the top of the tower lights up to show you that he or she is listening, always listening to every word. Well, um, you know, I think, I'm not sure how this thing works. Uh, you know, it must have some kind of Palantir kind of bound to it with the consciousness of, uh, you know, Kurunir, which is the elven name for Saruman, um, uh, who lives in non-Kurunir. Uh, so we've been sent one of these free Kurunexa assistants as part of a little marketing effort, asking it to try it out and, uh, and provide a review. So, <coughs> excuse me, Grima, edit that out. Uh, so let's uh, start playing with it a little bit and see what it can do. I mean, I have to admit, I feel a little silly talking to this thing, but here goes nothing. Uh, Kurinexa, what time is it? It is 9.17 p.m. Central Shire Time, CST, on the 25th of May, in the first year of the fourth age of Middle Earth. Oh, cool. That's 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 actually pretty handy. Uh, okay, another easy one. Um... Kurinexa, what is the elvish word for friend? In Sindarin, the elvish word for friend is Melon. But in the black speech of Mordor, it's... Uh, that's fine, Kurinexa. Uh, Sindarin is just fine. No black speech, please. Um, interesting. So here's a toughie. Tell me more about the creature, Shelob. Hmm. I don't know anything about the excretion of shield jobs. No, 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 Kurinexa, I said She-Lob, you know, the black spawn of Angoliant. Hmm, here's what I found on the web for She-Lob, the backspin of Hungarians. I, I said, I said on the web, <laughs> get it? Ah, ah, ah. Never mind, Kurinexa, uh, we'll try again next episode. Uh, let's just move on to the sixth beacon of Kalanhat. Here we are at the next beacon of Kalanhad. Yes, what do you want? 
No, Kurinexa, I said Callanhad. I said Callanhad. Kurinexa is here. I'm turning this. All right, I'm going to turn this thing off. Hang on. Um, so this week in the Beacon of Callanhad, I'm reviewing uh, Shadow of Mordor. So I don't normally do extended segments on other video games outside of Lotro, but since this one is Tolkien themed, I thought uh, more people might be interested than not. <laughs> of course, assuming that all of you have not played it already. So a little bit by the numbers. Uh, this is one of the top games of 2014. I think about two years ago, I bought it for about $750 on the Steam sale with full DLC. And uh, given the number of games I have in my Steam library and how fast I go through them, I don't intend to buy, unless there's a real big hole burning in my pocket, I don't intend to buy games any other way. Uh, I'll take these uh, 5 to $10, you know, two or three year old top games uh, any day of the week. Uh, for example, I just got uh, Alien Isolation. Um, on another uh, humble bundle, very recently, and from what I've heard, that's uh, pretty involved in cool game as well. So overall, I felt the game was slow getting rolling, but the more I played, the more comfortable I felt in most situations. To the point where, at the end of the game, if I was you know taking on thirty guys in one of their central war forts. Uh, and they were all pounding on me. It was, you know, no reason to panic. I'm like, I got this. <laughs> um, so I did want to comment on the lore-breaking perspective, uh, you know, that people complained about. Uh, I still think, you know, there are gaps in, as extensive as Tokian wrote, there are gaps in what he wrote where things could be extrapolated to have happened. So I think that the thing that people are upset about is, you know, people say Tokian never said this happened. No, but he never said it didn't happen either. And they're just, uh, you know, storylines set in his world. And, uh, you know, there's nothing in there that says, you know, and Aragorn was killed, so he can't be in the Fellowship of the Ring. Or that, uh, you know, the ring was actually made of pewter. <laughs> or that, uh, you know, Saren's original name was Clarence. Um, so, you know, there's nothing that contradicts specifically anything that Tolkien wrote. Um, the The... One thing that I think this game has drawn fire for is that it has created a lot. So there's a difference between Lotro creating a storyline woven in and around the events of the War of the Ring. Um, it's another for Warner Brothers to come up with this game, which which has major things that happen. And you know, from a spoiler perspective, you know, you're you, you're you're a mover and shaker. You're, you're making things happen in Mordor. Uh, on a major scale that, you know, if Tolkien intended, he certainly would have written about given his proclivities. But, uh, you know, I think that's the only thing you can say is to me, it's not lore breaking, it's lore expanding. And obviously the outcry uh, gets louder as, you know, more significant events are changed. Uh, for example, and this is not a spoiler because I've seen it in the trailers for um, Shadow of War, which is the sequel to Shadow of Mordor. Uh, you know, Shelob can transform herself into a female form. Obviously never did that in any of Tolkien's writings. You could be extrapolated that, you know, if, un, un, you know, Ungoliant is actually uh, a form of evil Maiar, like the Balrogar, that she would have powers that could enable her to do that. But it's certainly a pretty good leap um, to say that uh, it would be that common. So... So that's the kind of thing that you're dealing with. But again, you know, I, I, I saw nothing that specifically contradicted something that Tokian told me. And in a lot of cases, some of his world was augmented. You know, generally the graphics and the scenery were well done, were, uh, were very cool. It's obviously very stark and very Mordor-like. Uh, we've seen what that's like in Lotro recently. And I would say, you know, it's kind of interesting running around in the game of Shadow of War after getting to know Mordor so well in Lotro because it is different, but a lot of the names of some of the places, uh, you know, were researched from the same lore and have the same significance. And there were a couple things that, you know, I'd recognized as far as where they were located from a geography perspective um, based on the fact that it was a little bit similar in game. Like, for example, the presence of uh, Durthang, uh, you know, which has become kind of a large barracks for orcs in uh, Shadow of War, those types of things. Um... So, you know, the geography didn't have a huge amount of variation, but it was well done. It was detailed. It was uh, suitable for, you know, making for interesting gameplay. 
and the graphics overall were, were pretty darn good. Um, although they seem to specialize more than anything in illustrating killing moves for your guy, <laughs> different you know fifty weight different ways to decapitate an orc or you know shiv him in the back or side or rip out his spine or whatever the case may be. From a gameplay perspective, I read that uh, most people can finish the whole storyline in twenty five hours, but I explored on the sides quite a bit. Uh, plus, I had a slow start where I really didn't take to the game for a while, which was. I'd come back to it, I'd have to relearn, and I wasn't making a lot of progress that way. So I probably played over 50 hours total in the game, um, which is not super uncommon, uh, given all the DLC and other stuff you can do. Um, you know, on top of the quests that you can fulfill, there's different objectives, there's, you know, puzzle pieces that you can find all over the map and put together. There are uh, objects you can find, lore objects that play memories with, uh, you know, talk tracks to them and talk that kind of fill in the world. Um, you know, those are all, there's also nature quests where you can kill three bats and find two clumps of athletes and another kind of mushroom that are healing properties on the, you know, on, on the landscape. And you can just do a lot of those. As a matter of fact, I, I probably did more landscape challenges than almost anything else. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to play. Uh, there are a lot of cutscenes in the game that do most of the heavy lifting for the exposition of the story, and uh, you know they're they're nicely done. Um, the combat is very similar to it's the Assassin's Creed engine, if you've heard that before. Um, also very similar, I found even more similar, I thought to uh, to Batman: Arkham Asylum as far as how you navigate around the mobs and uh, different things you can do to kind of give yourself some space and you know take guys down and things of that nature. So. Um, you know, from a combat perspective, the toughest part of the game was the really high-end lieutenants that were resistant to almost every kind of attack. And when it came down to that, you really had to use intelligence that you found from other orcs to figure out what their weaknesses were. You know, there were guys I never could figure out how to kill until I said, oh, I, you know, explode a fire next to him or release a Karagor next to him or, uh, you know, take him down from above with stealth or whatever the case may be. And usually that is the key to getting over some of those guys. Plus, you know, if you're running up against the lieutenant, you're getting killed over and over again, it's time to do a bunch of side quests and work on your abilities and stats and the runes and relics and your weapons um, to the point where, you know, at the end I was taking down guys that I never would have been able to get in the beginning of the game uh, without a lot of trouble. Um, and, you know, my dying became less and less as I became more powerful. So it was almost a little too frustrating in the beginning for me to try to take down, you know, strong lieutenants. But um, I stuck with it, and I think if I just played more instead of only a little bit at a time, you know. But you know, it's another game I call Lodro that gives me those issues. So um, riding Karagors and Grogs was a nice little sideline, not really essential to the story, but interesting anyway. And I did get held up. I I finally finished branding the four war, five war chiefs in order to go take on the final quest in Nern. And uh, the next step wouldn't pop for me. And I finally figured out that I had to go back and finish the quest with the dwarf to figure out how to ride Cargoers and Grogs. I thought that was a side quest line. It was actually, because uh, it was yellow, meant it was epic and I couldn't advance the overall story mode until I'd finished those. So that was one thing I found online, one other person I'd run into that, uh, that helped me out. Of course, the biggest draw in the game is the Nemesis system, which is, um, in summary, is artificial intelligence around the NPC villains in the game. Um, you know, if you defeat someone, they're eliminated from the army. Uh, if uh, someone beats you, they rise in power. They take on rivals. They have, um, you know, power struggles within within the game. Uh, as they gain power, they gain you know the different looks and armor and weapons and so forth. And you can see the hierarchy of the troops of NPCs in the game uh, as you advance. Um, and uh, you know they all have different personalities and b backgrounds and fighting styles and so forth. So it's it's pretty interesting. Um, you know if you if you eventually what I found out is uh, you know one of the final quests is to brand five war chiefs. And the war chiefs are tough, right? So it's it's actually easier to kill them to, than to brand them because they typically have a lot of other orcs around them. And branding takes a couple seconds where you're totally focused on it, where you can be being just like hit over the head by the 50 other guys behind you. So it's hard to find the time and to separate um, a war chief from everybody to the point where you can brand him alone uh, for some of these stronger guys. Um, so it was easier to kill them. So... 
So I, I ran into a bunch of times where I had to brand a guy and uh, I couldn't find him alone. I had to kill him and then have to wait for the next guy to get promoted and so forth. And what I eventually figured out was this. The easiest way to brand a chief was to brand one of his um, one of his sergeants or one of his direct reports, one of his captains that supports him. And then when you killed the main guy, the guy underneath him that you'd already branded would take his place and you would automatically fill the objective right away. So basically by killing um, a less strong guy that's underneath him first, and, and I'm sorry, and branding that guy so he's under your control, then when you kill the war chief on top of it, the branded guy takes his, takes his place and then you've got your, your puppet in the, in the position of power. So that's how I eventually got over the last challenge, uh, made it a heck of a lot easier. I did that with uh, two or three of the final lieutenants that were tough. And, uh, you know, overall, it was an interesting game. I learned some things about Mordor. I reinforced some things that I already knew. Um, there was certainly a good amount of gameplay for the amount of money I put into it. I did get a little monotonous at times. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm going to play the next game or not. I think I'm going to certainly wait a good amount of time before I look at it. I'm getting a little bit tired of these games now that I've played three that all have kind of similar combat systems. You know, overall, I gave it a B plus though. Uh, enjoyed it. You know, it's not like an A title for me, but uh, but good overall, uh, especially given my love of the lore. And uh, yeah, that's my perspective. So if you can pick it up cheap and you want to learn more about the game, try it out. And uh, you know, don't hit yourself over the head with it because it can get uh, monotonous. But it does get better if you keep at it and uh, hopefully a lot of fun. So that's Shadow of Mordor. I'm moving on to the next game. I took some suggestions on Twitter. I'd like to play something that's completely different, um, something that doesn't take 60 hours. I'm looking for because I have a bunch of stuff in my library I can finish in two hours or four hours or six hours. So I want some of the smaller games that uh, I can take to kind of uh, you know detox a little bit. And the one that I picked um, for my next uh, next game, I'm almost, almost two-thirds of the way through it already, but it's called Never Alone. It's, a, it's sort of a puzzler game uh, starring a, a small Inuit girl that's trying to save her village from blizzards, and it's got mixed in like all different cultures of, um, of uh, Native Americans from Canada um, and you know their history and their language and their art and some of their legends and so forth and the graphics are simple but cool uh, kind of a wintry wonderland uh, where you're accompanied by a kind of a spirit fox and the two of you double team objectives and so forth um, so I'm about two-thirds of the way through there at least uh, it looks like you know only take me five or six hours to play in total and uh, you know the, the puzzles can be challenging, but the nice part is when you fail one, it doesn't send you across the map. You get to try it like almost right where you left off almost immediately. So uh, it's very unfrustrating and forgiving from that perspective, and I think I paid a, uh, a pittance for it. So uh, right now I'm, I'm liking it. It's exactly what I was looking for. Um, so it's mostly simple puzzle solving and atmosphere with some cultural appreciation uh, appropriation thrown in. All right, uh, that is Shadow of War, and that brings us all the way to the seventh beacon of Haltherian. Closing time. Time for all that alcohol. I'm sorry. Uh, we ran out of time to squander, so it's time for Blessed Relief. I'm officially putting a little lacy black ribbon on the 83rd episode of Light the Beacons. I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. Uh, this week, give me all your lovin' and all your slugs and fishes, too. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for the ammonium chloride. Uh, Facebook or Twitter at bragsonofbalan. My website at lightthebeacons.com, where you can post comments directly on the podcast. And I almost forgot, kind of interesting, it's been a long time coming. I uh, didn't know how to do this, so never messed with it. But uh, I went out and messed with my website for the first time in a long time. And what I did is I added uh, subtopics along the main menu so that you can go back and look at um, just the podcast from 2013, just 2014, just 2015, just 2016, etc. So they're separated out. They used to be all on one page, one huge laundry list. And if you wanted to go to the older stuff, you had to page all the way to the bottom. And now I have uh, categorized by year. 
uh, which was interesting. <laughs> never done that in WordPress before. I've never done much on WordPress before. Uh, so I, I'm not an expert in any means. But there were a lot of people trying to do what I tried to do. And they kind of had a weird way to do it. There wasn't a way to create a sub page and just move the content over. You had to create these categories instead and go back through your posts and you know assign the categories to each post and it's it's sort of like a filter instead of a uh, you know an actual um, uh, static uh, you know hard linked move. So anyway, it did work and I didn't break the website at least not that I can tell. <laughs> Should make it a little bit easier to navigate on just the latest stuff if you want to see that or if you want to go back into the archives. And it's been sitting on my back. Uh, Back development list for a long time. So I finally knocked that out. Um, I kindly request you take the time to create an iTunes review like Gladwin, if perchance you're so inclined. I'd very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forsake my legendary elven antipathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before or looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I really hope you enjoy your week in Middle Earth. This is Bragg, the son of Balance, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember, uh, the next time the consciousness of an Astari is channeled through one of your household appliances to frustrate you with its stupidity and cluelessness, don't despair. Light the beacons.